Welcome to Hometown Voices, a podcast produced by Montgomery History. This podcast will share excerpts from oral histories collected by Montgomery History from some of our county residents. We'll get things started with a selection from an interview with Margaret Taylor Jones, who was a teacher and principal with Montgomery County Public Schools. Mrs. Jones worked during the transition from segregated schools to an integrated school system. A note here. This recording was made in 1971. Some of the language used, while not explicit, is no longer acceptable or appropriate. In the interest of historical accuracy, we have not edited these out. We do, however, want to make it clear that we do not condone the use of this language. This is November 3rd, 1971, and Mrs. Margaret Jones is being interviewed by Ann Ellsbury at Ann Ellsbury's home in Bethesda, Maryland. Mrs. Jones spent all of her teaching career working in Montgomery County. And not only did she witness the tremendous changes in school facilities and programs as an urban population filled the rural countryside, but as a teacher, principal, and supervisor, of the segregated minority, she experienced the evolution of a completely integrated system with equal facilities and instruction for all. Mrs. Jones, can you start by telling us about your early childhood? Yes. I was born in the District of Columbia, attended elementary school, high school, and, <clears throat> and went to the minor normal school at that time and then went on to Howard University. I um, grew up in a neighborhood that abutted uh, what was known as a white community. We had experiences playing with some of the children who lived on the next street. Um, there was at one time a church um, Bible school that was desegregated so we had some experiences with the other race just through play. I come from a family of five. I'm second oldest in the family. There are three girls and two boys. Um, we, at that time, thought that while Washington had a dual system, that as our system was especially good. It was really, I think, my experience of having two teachers in the family, my father's sisters were teachers, and uh, emulating the people who taught me mm -hmm. is what gave me the stimulus to go into teaching. Can you tell us about uh, more about going into teaching and how you prepared for it, where you studied, and then how you came uh, to Montgomery County? Yes. <clears throat> it was in the 30s when I finished minor. Minor was what was known as a normal school. And I was in their first three-year class. They used to have two-year classes. And um, I sort of thought that it was the, the story of my life as I look back at it, that uh, to be these first. So we finished in 1930 which was a terrible time for anybody yes, to get a job. I can imagine. Um, and I really was interested because I, I think we led a kind of protected life. My mother was a little strict and she had very high ideals and I had sort of wanted to get away. 
And many of our classmates were applying in the South, North Carolina was known for its good system. And I'd made applications there and hadn't received any answers, so I stayed in the insurance company. Uh, was very friendly with a young dentist who had become a clergyman, and he was working in Montgomery County. And he called me one night and said that they needed a teacher in Montgomery County at a place named Scotland, and that he had recommended that the supervisor come to see me, because the supervisor was one of his parishioners. So. Um, the supervisor called up and made an appointment to come see me at my home. And I guess I had, you know, some of the fear of going into a rural community. I had <coughs> grown up in the district, had practiced there, um, certainly had not prepared for a one-room school. And it developed, but he said he would let me know. So he hadn't said anything to me by Monday, so I went to my job at the insurance company, and then Monday night he called and asked if I would report to the school on Tuesday. Oh, no. <laughs> not much preparation. Right, right. So I did, and um, very fortunately for me, the young woman who had the position said that this freed her and she would go with me. So from Washington, uh, we took a trolley and we rode to the um, Chevy Chase Circle and there this man from Scotland met us in a car and it developed that I would have to pay him $10 a month for transportation. Oh so that's how we got there. there. At that time there were 36 children in the room and it went from the first grade through the seventh. Through the seven. Through all, the seven. All in one um, room. All in one room and um, boys in the class who were 15 years old, some of them. Some, wow. some girls were, because it had gone through the seven. The kids ranged in age from six through 15. Um, the teacher the, who was leaving, I, I'm sure, did not mean to uh, paint the dismal picture that she did but she said that the boys would sometimes take her keys and lock the door and she couldn't get back in the, the building. <laughs> um, so I attributed that to the fact that well, her reason for having to leave was the state was beginning to tighten on qualifications and she had not graduated. Um, she'd only had one year of teacher training. So I sort of said to myself, this is because she hasn't been thoroughly trained, you know, I'll know how to handle it. <laughs> but she came each day for the, the rest of that week, and I really was relieved when she stopped coming, because all the things I wanted to do, she was discouraging me, not in an unkindly manner, but just, you know, well, you're wasting time. Uh, lesson plans, for example, she said, don't bother with, with lesson plans. And it was really a week before I could move to the front of the, the room. You entered through the back door and um, uh, the kids would look at me and so she told me, and really she wasn't doing much about teaching. So by the beginning of the next week, 
I moved in and was in full control. Was this well into the school year? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, it was March. Oh. And the schools, then they had separate school closings for the black schools and the white schools. And um, uh, the black schools closed in May. Why was this? Well, because it was still a farm area and there was still the belief that, you know, the black kids needed to go to work and so they would release them to go to work on the farms in May. And I used to have my little private joke that the black kids learn faster. <laughs> <laughs> they learned it all in less time. <laughs> yes, but um, uh, I understand that in some places in Maryland even that the, the black schools did not open until October. Okay. That wasn't true in Montgomery County. They opened at the same time. There were separate salaries for white and, and black teachers, and my salary was $58 a month, and I didn't see how I was ever going to be able to buy a car. Um, I was still living home with my parents, who were very pleased that I'd gone into teaching, that I'd gotten a position, and so I didn't have too many responsibilities at home. I used to say that if I hadn't lived at home, I would not have been able to make it. And then I became very friendly with one of the teachers in Montgomery County who had come all the way from Illinois. And she started the same time I did, the same year. And she had to live in the community. She had to pay room and board. And of course, she had to clothe herself. Can you tell us a little more about uh, the community of Scotland at this time? And with the children, and uh, generally, how many children did you have in this? Room? I started with 36 children in the room, and it it uh, fluctuated. Um, maybe the next year it was 45. The maximum I ever had was 51. And did you have any help with that many oh, no. children? Oh no, no AIDS or no, nothing? no AIDS, no, no, indeed. <laughs> um, the community was made up of 33 families. It's a small little community off of Seven Locks Road. Um, the history is that most of the land was given to the families, you see, at the close of the Civil War and that um, had, had remained in these families. Uh, there were two families with the same names but not related. So the, and uh, there was a white family by the same name in Montgomery County, so I suppose this was a business of slaves having taken the name of their owners and um, maybe they weren't related. Mm -hmm. There were two churches of two different denominations. One was the African Methodist Episcopal Church Zion and the other one was a Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, it struck me as odd that with two churches that um, and 33 families, I knew there must have been something going on in the community <laughs> <laughs> that kept this uh, going. Nobody there had completed high school. They were very uh, suspicious of outsiders. We had a rather blunt trustee who, who spoke his mind. He was uh, friendly toward me, but his 
He made it quite clear that they did not want the school teacher living in the community to come and teach school and then get down the road. <laughs> but and not uh, to involve yourself then with the uh, activities of the. He didn't. People. I don't think he objected to uh, involving, but but he um, because I did. I'd go back for some of the night meetings, I, I would put on plays at the churches and I was very careful to divide my time between the two churches. Mm -hmm. um, made one serious mistake one time that uh, we put on Scrooge and the Christmas Fairy at the school and the people liked it so well they asked if I'd come back and spend a day during the, the Christmas holiday and do it at the church, you see, for the grown-ups who had missed it at the school. Well, it so happened that Scrooge was a pretty good uh, actor, and it never occurred to me that Scrooge's guardian went to the other church, and she got terribly upset about it, and uh, wasn't going to let him come. <laughs> and when I got in the community that day, and uh, I was to have lunch at one home and dinner at the other, and um, we were, I wanted the kids to rehearse to and rehearse at the church. So they were to meet me at the church and when they came and told me Henry wasn't coming because his guardian wouldn't let him because he, she wouldn't let him come to that church. Then I had to take off and go see the guardian, you know, and, and really plead with her because, uh, and she did, she relented and allowed him to come so we were able to put on uh, Scrooge and the Christmas fairy, but she held me to a promise that I would do something for their church, church too, <laughs> and uh, and I did. I so uh, this, of course, I think began to to um, help them ease their own feelings about each other's churches. Um, um, they were very cooperative people. Um, I think they wanted. Uh, their kids to be educated and educated well, and it was almost pathetic um, when their praise for the simplest thing to have a mother say that that her daughter is really reading well, and this was a child I knew that was not reading well, and she says she looks up at the cupboard and she says salt, and um, that she uh, reads on the on the uh, packages that she would bring into the home, and the mother considered this reading well. And some of the parents who were semi-illiterate were pleased when they found their children uh, able to help them with things. Um, how about from the educational point of view? Did you uh, find many problems, uh, many difficulties in teaching in one room with uh, many different levels and ages uh, or was this not so difficult? It really was not so difficult. Uh, I made some, some what would have been considered by educators terrible errors, but they were what I used, one of my psychology professors used to call good errors. I had been trained on the intermediate level and the lowest that I had gone in practice was in third grade and up through sixth. So, I was not accustomed to first and second grade children. Coming in at the time I did and with no more briefing than I had, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to teach first graders uh, cursive writing. <laughs> and so from the very outset 
I taught these children to write and uh, to and and taught them the transition between the printed page, you see, and the writing, and had handwriting lessons with them. Um, some of the people today who came through that school say that they write well because I taught them to write, <laughs> and. Um, I, I think it was to their advantage. Now I know that they are saying in special education with children who have perceptual difficulties to teach them to write because the letters are connected and this is better for them. So I said this is a, a good error. Um, kids learn well because everybody hears everybody else's lessons. and. Um, um, one could build a sense of values in a room such as this because as the teacher moved on to another group uh, she could uh, assign a pretty proficient student to work with a group of smaller children so they learned to help each other mm -hmm. and uh, they had a sense of I think unity from helping each other well that's very interesting I sort of hate to leave that topic but I think we better move along um, after you left Scotland, you went to um, to Rockville. To Rockville. I went to Rockville as a teacher. The Rockville school at that time was the only graded situation in the black schools. Uh, there, they had a first grade teacher and a second grade teacher, and they brought in a third grade teacher the year I went there. That was in 1943, and um, I had fourth and fifth. And the principal, who was a teaching principal, had sixth and seventh. And all the other schools then were one room. One or two rooms. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Um, can you compare uh, the schools that you were in at that time with the other, the white schools in the county? Uh, uh, not a complete, accurate uh, comparison because. Uh, uh, we really just got to see them from the outside. There were some. I don't. I don't know whether there were any one-room schools left in the the white schools, but um, <clears throat> there were some small two and three-room situations. Um, our schools were were pretty run down. They were just little frame buildings. I think most of them had been built with some funds that came from what was known as the Julius Rosenthal Foundation. Mm -hmm. And this was if a community raised part of its funds, then there would be matching funds. And um, any school, even the two-room ones, and these were little yellow frame buildings that, that sat on the side of a road, you know, with an outhouse and a pump <laughs> and that kind of thing. When I went to Scotland, I, I found so few materials, and that really being naive, I simply walked up to the school board office and started asking for materials. And um, were so, you able to get them? Yes, I surprised the the uh, administrative assistant so by going in asking this. You see that you know she her glasses <laughs> jumped off her nose <laughs> and. Um, Art supplies, she told me that our supervisor didn't want us to have uh, because they were being misused, but she gave them to me. And then I began requesting textbooks that 
I wanted to use and it, I got new books and this this was unusual because I had had you know parents um, one grandmother who was particularly uh, querulous in Scotland had said that her daughter had had nothing her granddaughter had, had nothing but ragged books and if I sent one of those ragged books home that she was going to put it in the stove and so I had to say to the grandmother you know this is county property and you'll be destroying county property and if you put it in the stove I'll have to report it that I know nothing about where these books came from well it developed that when the Negro schools had asked for materials they were getting the materials that had been turned in by the white schools so mm -hmm. some of it really was discarded and uh, Right away, I, I decided that the thing to do is to ask for books that are so new that they can't be discarded. <laughs> and uh, so I was. They were being delivered through the mail directly to the Scotland School. And uh, the same thing, well, almost the same thing was happening at the Rockville School. And um, so I told the principal, you know, that you really could get materials if you asked for them. The third grade teacher also knew about getting new materials, and so the two of us sort of um, naturally gravitated toward each other because we were new. <laughs> and all, this made that school of five member schools yeah. on the staff. And there again, we began asking for materials that we needed, and, and we got them. Yeah. Uh, I think people were surprised that we were getting them. That's all for today. We'll be back next time with more from Margaret Taylor Jones as she continues to share more memories from Montgomery County. This program, and others like it, are made possible through your generous support. Visit MontgomeryHistory.org and click on Donate Now to contribute. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hometown Voices, a podcast from Montgomery History.